Hey there, you may already know my story from thinking that my life wasn't very valuable or have much purpose to transitioning to the belief that I am valuable and my life was created for a purpose and then starting to finally pursue my biggest dreams. And I have a feeling you might be on a similar path that you're wanting to fully believe in yourself and your quote unquote crazy dreams and have the confidence it takes to audaciously pursue those dreams. So if you're listening right now and thinking, yes, Janelle, that is 100% me, then I have something special for you. You see, I still remember the days where I cared way too much about what other people thought of me and was filled with uncertainty around what I was and wasn't capable of doing with my life. And looking back, I am certain that there is one thing that I wish I had known all this time. I want to share it with you to help you make the transition from caring way too much about other people's opinion of you to becoming a free bird, fully allowing yourself to pursue what you want. So I've created a free resource that lays out the number one thing that's getting in the way of you having that unshakable confidence and how to overcome it. If you're ready to commit to your personal growth and get real honest with yourself, Go to nextlevelconfident.com forward slash confidence muscle and grab this free resource. What's up? You are now listening to the Next Level Confident podcast with Janelle and A. If you are ready to challenge your previous ways of thinking and take action on the bold, purpose-driven life you were created for, you'll want to keep listening. On the show, we will vulnerably discuss finding your purpose in life, strengthening your mindset, building quality relationships, and prioritizing your health. I hope you're as excited as I am. Let's do this. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Next Level Confident Podcast. My name is Janelle Lene, and today I have with me an amazing, incredible, audacious woman. Her name is Danae Ousted. Danae, how are you today? I'm great. I'm great on a winning streak. How are you? <laughs> on a winning streak. I love that. I'm doing really, really well. Um, you guys, for everyone listening, uh, Danae can be found on uh, her personal Facebook page, which is Danae, D-E-N-A-Y-E. And then last name is Ousted, which I keep like almost messing up, but A-U-S-T-A-D. And you can also email her at Danae.Ousted at tfaconnect.com. So Danae is a Denver-based financial advisor, and she's the co-founder of Level Up, which is a women's vulnerability and support group that offers women the community and connections to level up their lives and their businesses. Her financial practice is focused on providing financial education and planning to female entrepreneurs, high-powered women in business, and their families at every stage of their life. So you can check out her podcast also, which is The Leveled Up Podcast. It's on Facebook and Instagram as The Leveled Up Pod. So that was a mouthful, but um, (laughs) I'm super excited to be talking about all things finance. Um, Give us a little backstory. What led you to wanting to be a financial advisor, Janae? Oh man, so many things. So I feel like when I, whenever I share my backstory, I have to include a couple of things. So the first um, is that I was uh, homeschooled. So fun fact about Danae. And for me, really what that meant is that 
I kind of had a day where I really had just like a set amount of actual schoolwork to do. Usually took me maybe an hour and a half, two hours max. And then the rest of my time, I kind of just spent doing whatever I wanted. So really what that meant is that I spent a lot of time reading. I, I spent a ton of time in the library, but I spent time developing my own skills, just kind of learning what it was I was interested in and then developing those things. And it was funny because I kind of assumed that that's how the, um, real world was going to be as an adult. And it's so funny because when I got to the corporate world, that 100% was not the case. Um, and that kind of started off my, my seeking journey as like, okay, if this is the kind of life I want, where I want the freedom to do what I want, when I want, while still being productive and do something that I actually care about, where does that look, right? How do, how do I do that? And when I went to college, you know, I, I think that, Janelle, you're probably in the same position here, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners are as well. I know you have a pretty high identity group. What I found was that I got told over and over and over again, like, oh, you have potential, you know, you have leadership qualities, you're a good communicator, whatever that looked like. And I thought that that would automatically translate into the perfect career immediately after college right? Because you follow the path that people set out for you and then you get the career that you're supposed to get and it's perfect and it's fulfilling and it's your purpose and everything is great. And um, I don't know about you, but when I, when I got out of school, almost the opposite happened. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, oh man, adulthood is rough. There's no sort of roadmap. There's nobody to tell you exactly what you should be doing for work and the traditional paths that I wanted to take. Um, you know, I, I tried working some entry-level marketing jobs and they were going to pay so little that I had to be bartending part-time anyway. So I was like, why am I doing this? So instead I spent a lot of years bartending my way through bartending um, because I was like, I'm making good money. I have kind of a flexible schedule and I'm in this seeking mode where I'm trying to figure out what's next. So I spent a little time in real estate. I, I sold everything. I went and lived on a resort for a while. And when I came back from that, I just kept ending up back in the service industry. And over and over and over again, I kept thinking that I have potential, but I don't have an outlet. I don't have anything to throw 100% of myself into. I'm making decent money. I'm happy with my schedule, but like, but what else? So hmm. I actually met my now boyfriend. He was not my then boyfriend when I was bartending. And um, I needed a financial advisor myself. And when I sat down with Cameron, because I'd gone through this process beforehand of trying to self-educate about finance. And um, I don't know if you've ever tried to self-educate yourself about finance, but it's hard. Um, my go-to is, is that I'll Google some stuff, I'll read some articles, I'll read seven or eight books, I'll go to the library and do a ton of research. And what was frustrating to me was that at the time I was actually a W-2 employee, but I was a bartender. So I didn't have a paycheck. I didn't have benefits. I didn't have health insurance. I certainly didn't have a 401k. So I was reading all these books and I was like, none of this information feels like it's meant for me, right? Mm -hmm. It feels like it's somebody who's in a corporate job, who's, who's on this very specific track and I'm just not there, you know? So a lot of the information wasn't relevant. And then I went to go buy a product that was recommended by one of the books and it wasn't even available anymore. So I ended up being in this spot where I was like, how do I do this unless there's somebody who can tell me specifically what to do at every step of the process? So right. um, the universe was like, okay, well, here he is. So <laughs> then I met Cameron, who became my financial advisor. And when I sat down with him, he put a plan together for me that showed me exactly what to put away for retirement, exactly how much money to have saved and where, exactly where to put my money. 
to invest it in the way that I wanted and I was comfortable with, and also in a way that made me feel good when I was spending money on things that I cared about because the important part of my finances was already taken care of. Mm. And that released so much anxiety um, in a life where I was always worried about money, even though I was making a good amount. So basically by the end of the conversation with him, I was so pleased about what he put together. Um, You know, they didn't charge me for it the way that our company is set up. That's not really how it works. And I was like, how can I introduce my friends to you? Because I know that if I don't know this stuff, they sure as hell don't know this stuff. Right. Um, And they basically said, hey, we're actually looking for people like you. You should consider a position in finance. And that was kind of the start of of my journey. And if they told me I needed to go back to school, I would have. If they told me that I needed to spend $5,000 on licensing, I would have. Because all of a sudden, all of this potential that I've been building up, They said, here's your direction. Here's a way you can make money and help people in a really fulfilling way. And when you can work on your own schedule. And I was like, done. Sign me up. I'm in. Sign me up. This is me. This is where I'm going. And in the first place, it it was kind of, I don't want to say a a selfish mission, but all I really wanted was the the potential to be somebody, right? Somebody Mm. who had authority, who people wanted to rely on, who could wear a suit and, you know, have people really respect them. And I didn't really have that bartending. Um, And so I was looking for that next level and it's really shifted for me now. So, you know, my practice, like you kind of mentioned, I mostly work with female entrepreneurs because the mission and the vision of these women who have such big ideas of what they want to do with their life, but finance is just kind of a blind spot. And with a little bit of education and a little bit of context and encouragement, they're ready to just crush it and conquer the world. So that's a very long way of explaining how it was that I got into finance. Um, Cause I don't know if that's necessarily the traditional way that everybody does, but I'm so excited that it found me the way that it did, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And I love how you've touched on everyone um, can probably relate to feeling like they have untapped potential. I feel like every woman I talk to is like, there's gotta be something more to my life, but I'm not tapping into it. And so I, it's just so cool that finance ended up being the thing that you were able to tap into to feel yourself coming alive and being like, okay, here's my potential being put to good use. Yeah. And it took me a while, I think, to find my stride because just like when you start anything new, obviously there's a learning curve, but now I'm hitting a point where I'm like, I'm with the people I'm supposed to be with. I'm doing the things I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm just really excited. You know, it's not about me anymore. It's really shifting to, okay, what can the people in my life do? How can I equip them? How can I get them to the next level? And it's getting really exciting, you know? Yes. And you keep saying next level, which I'm like, next level company. (laughs) So you have like an echoey version that you can like insert there. I I really hope so. Next level, next level. Yeah, exactly. I will. Perfect. (laughs) And my podcast is level up. So like we're, we're right on the same, same plane. Exactly. I know. I love it. That's actually how Danae and I met was I went to their get together back when like in-person meetups were a thing before Mm -hmm. COVID in Denver for my nine month stint when I lived there. And I saw on meetup, I think it was meetup or Eventbrite, one of the two. Something like that. Yeah. And it said like level up meetup. And I was like, level up sounds like next level confident. I was like, I'll go. It's fate. (laughs) And that's how we met. So cool. (laughs) Okay. So according to Forbes magazine, the two things that keep women up most at night are the pursuit of work-life balance and financial stability. 
And then I found some other research that said, according to consolidatedcredit.org, the pay gap, children, work-life balance, and having to fight harder for the same career advancements and raises than that come easier for men. So all that stuff just comes easier for men. Um, these are just a few of the roadblocks that women are facing every single day. So I think it's obvious that money is a big topic for us as women to be talking about today, which is why I'm so excited that Danae is here to be talking about money. Um, Danae, what would you say are some of the challenges women that you've worked with have had? Oh man, so many. So I I think that there's a, a, a few. And the first is that, like I mentioned, for a lot of the women I work with, they're so driven. They're so hardworking. It's definitely not a competence issue by any means. A lot of times it's more of a confidence issue, right? And their finances are kind of a blind spot. Cause like I mentioned, it's really hard to self-educate within finance. It is. And so these women are coming in feeling like these are basic concepts that I should have already been taught. Yes. And there's something wrong with me because I don't already know them. And a lot of the issue too, you know, talking about the difference between pay gap and work-life balance and things like that, I think there's a big chunk of that that also comes because there isn't always enough representation within the financial industry itself. So Mm. it's only the last stat I heard was that it's only about 17% of advisors are female. So if the average advisor is a 55-year-old white guy, right, I've got the stats for that too, then a lot of the times they don't necessarily understand what... um, the specific needs and educational needs and gaps are for somebody who's a woman trying to navigate their own finances, right? Not saying that anybody who's in that position 100% can't relate or 100% can't be empathetic and, and do their best to understand. But a lot of the times it so helps, and we see this in industries across the board, when you see people who look like you and act like you and have the same goals and dreams and lifestyle that you do, then it's a lot easier to connect in a way that really resonates for the long-term, right? For long-term relationships. And so I think that that's a big one is that first of all, there, there aren't enough women in the industry. And then the, the big one is just education across the board. So, you know, I actually have a little bit of a, a background in finance in school and that I had a, a business admin degree with like a finance emphasis. But the frustrating part was it didn't teach me anything about buying a house or starting a business or yes. how credit worked or debt, right? How to stay out of debt, how to pay less in taxes, how to just save for retirement. And now being in this industry, I'm like, why weren't we all taught that? And part of it is that it wasn't relevant at the time when you're in college. The last thing you're thinking about is life insurance or a retirement plan, <laughs> yeah. but debt is 100% relevant, right? Why were we educated about that before we even got to college in the first place? That's a huge one. And, and besides education, besides representation, I'd say, honestly, um, a lot of it is that when you think of the idea of like work-life balance, everybody feels like they're supposed to be perfect at everything at every stage in their life. And one of my favorite quotes, I have to remember who actually said it, um, but one of my favorite quotes is that there's no such thing as work-life balance. There's work-life choices and you make them and they have consequences. And so at different points in your life, you might be in a spot where you're really, really ingrained in your finances. And at some point you might be in school or you might be in a building phase of your life where you're doing your best, but you can't necessarily put away thousands of dollars a month and you can't necessarily invest everything that you want to. And sometimes you have to deal with a little bit of debt at certain points. Not everybody's life is, is the same across the board. So we end up with this comparison saying that 
no matter what your work-life choices are, your finances should be perfect and above everybody else's at all times. Mm. And that's not realistic. So yeah. So a lot of times working with an advisor gives people the context to say that, you know what, for what I'm doing, I'm actually in a really good spot. Okay. For my goals, I'm on track or based on what everybody else is doing, here's where I stand. So sometimes the context of your specific point in life makes a really, really huge difference. So that was a whole bunch of the challenges and I could name like 80 more, but I think that's a, probably a pretty solid start here. Yeah, totally. And the one that I really resonate with is feeling like I should know, but I don't. So I'm embarrassed to ask. And I find that seems to be a common thread for a lot of women. And yeah, we should have been taught this more starting in high school, probably, right? Like how to budget for when you go to college and how to, you know, save money for when you go to college and all these different things. But instead we're not taught any of that. And then we think everyone else knows, but no one else knows. So we're all, we're all lost and confused. (laughs) That's the big secret is that there's this illusion that when it comes to money, that everybody else has it all together and everybody else's situation is perfect because everybody's sharing this. And I'm sure we've talked about this before. Everybody is sharing this highlight reel of the good things that are going on in their life. And sometimes even when they share the things that aren't so great, they're kind of perfectly crafted so that Mm. you're like, oh my God, this person is so vulnerable and they're so perfect for sharing like this hard thing for themselves. But even that is so perfectly crafted so that you're seeing what they want. And if I've, gathered anything from being in this industry, it's that nothing, none of that is real, right? There are plenty of people who I work with who have a high net worth, who have these huge incomes, who feel like they should be in this amazing spot, but their lives are totally supported by debt, or they have nothing in their retirement savings, or they have no insurance Mm. for them and their family. That's across the board. We see it over and over and over again. So when everybody's in this comparison game between your raw and real financial situation, which you know, this perfectly crafted highlight reel of what you think everybody else is doing, then how could you not feel like you're behind? But like the great part of it is that as you're working with somebody who can give you context, they can let you know that most of that just isn't real. Yeah. Yeah. Like you see people getting all this new stuff and you're like, oh my gosh, she has all this new clothing and like that awesome new car and all these things. And you have no idea how much debt that person could or could not be in. Like there's no reason to judge either way, but you don't have to assume they're always making more money than you because they might not be. They might be putting it all on their credit card and being fiscally irresponsible. So yeah, they could. of college students are women, and 48% of employees in the workplace are women, which is awesome. Ladies, this is proof that we are smart and working hard. But you know what's not so awesome? Only 29% of VPs and just 22% of C-suite executives are women. In male-dominated industries such as STEM, these numbers are even more startling. As these numbers state, women aren't lacking the knowledge, education, or ability to be leaders in the workplace. What many women are lacking is the confidence to take on risk. Most of us have heard this one before. Men will apply for jobs they are 60% qualified for, yet women will only apply for jobs they are 100% qualified for. This type of stat also applies to women at their job, not willing to take on that new, unknown project. What she's lacking is the belief that her skills and abilities are not only 
quote unquote, okay, but are powerful and needed in the workplace. The Confidence Workshop is created to help women dig deep into their mindset and get to the root of this problem. If this conversation gets you as fired up as it gets me, we are now taking applications for this workshop for the ladies of STEM corporations. Please head to our website at nextlevelconfident.com to learn more about the Confidence Workshop. Okay, cool. So the first thing I want to do to dive into this is um, before we go into the practical details of finance, um, I want to talk about the idea of having an abundance mindset. And I know this is something that you and I are both really, really into, um, but I feel like someone listening right now might not know what that means. So Danae, will you explain what an abundance mindset is and how should women be thinking about money? Yeah. So I guess I'll start with the idea of what a scarcity mindset is because I think it's easiest to explain. So when you have a scarcity mindset, it's basically the idea that you're never going to have enough and that there's a shortage of good things. So one of the ways that that might manifest is like the idea that if one of your friends is really successful financially, that means there isn't enough to go around for you, right? Or a lot of times I'll see this with people where they're living paycheck to paycheck because they spend their money as if they're never going to make any money after this ever again. Wow. Yeah. Or they don't spend money on things that they care about because if they don't save it for something that could potentially happen someday in the future, then they're going to be in a really bad situation, right? And some of those things are true in a pragmatic sense, but for the most part, it's just a mindset. So then the flip side of an abundance mindset is saying there's always more where this came from, right? Money comes to me easily and often. It's easy for me to make money. I get excited about saving money because I know more is, is coming my way. When I make purchases, I make them wholeheartedly because I know that I'm taking care of things that are important to me. And this is something that adds to me, doesn't take away, right? So that's mm. about a con- as concise of an explanation as I can do in a very short amount of time. Yeah. And I'll just share like for a moment on my personal side, like when I am in a scarcity mindset, maybe I buy something that is splurging for myself, whether that be like a massage or a shirt or something that I don't actually need. Right. I'm like, I don't need this. And I get it. And I feel this like buyer's remorse. Like right after I swipe my card, I'm like, Oh no, I shouldn't have bought that. Why did I spend money on this? Like, and that's thinking with a very scarce mindset. Once again, you want to be smart. So I'm not saying just go buy a bunch of stuff, but I, I do think it's important when we, when we treat ourselves to something instead of feeling like crap about it, let yourself be like, okay, I'm proud of you. There's more where that came from. And another small example that I've been working on, this is so weird, but like using things around my house. So for example, I would always be really stingy with like my shampoo. Like if I was squeezing my shampoo, I'd be like, okay. Or like, if it was a pump, I'd be like only three pumps, like three pumps of the shampoo. (laughs) You have a lot of hair, Janelle. I don't know if that's enough. (laughs) Literally, I might need five pumps, but I'm like, I'm like having this stingy scarcity mindset where I'm like only three pumps, you know? And I was, as I've been doing more of this mindset work, I started to think, where am I doing this in my life? Where am I having scarcity in my life? And I realized there were so many areas of my life where I was like, I would buy a perfume and I would never use it because I like loved that perfume, which is great. But I was like, I don't want to use this perfume because it's so expensive. So it would just sit on the shelf. And what's so funny is this would happen all the time. And then like years would go by and I would only use a tiny bit of the perfume. And all of a sudden it's like, 
it's like four years has gone by and I don't want to use that juicy perfume anymore anyway. You know, <laughs> I'm like, why don't you just freaking use your juicy perfume girl? Like let yourself have some sprays. And so I recently got a perfume. Well, this is actually like a year ago now, but I told myself I'm not going to be stingy. I'm not going to have a scarcity mindset towards my things. I'm going to have an abundance mindset. So when I would put it on, even though it's like the most expensive bottle of perfume I've ever bought, I would do like three or four sprays and just like, yeah, like I'll put this <laughs> perfume all over me. I don't care. You know, and every single day I'm, I'm not like, I don't need a fancy opportunity to wear this perfume. I could wear this opportunity for a zoom meeting. Cause I like smelling delicious for myself. And yeah. so I feel like there's like ways to practice abundance mm-hmm. without, I mean, with money, but also with other areas of your life. I feel like, so the biggest way that this has shown up for me definitely is I recognize that sometimes, especially as an entrepreneur, right? I work so many times with women who are in this feast or famine phase of their life. And that's totally natural when you're starting a new business and it's hard to disconnect your self-worth and how you're feeling about your money based on what's in your bank account, right? And we've all been there. We all know how that feels and it can be really, really hard. There's a huge connection between your money and your mental health, but the biggest mindset shift that I've made is that I recognize that a lot of the times in the last few years as an entrepreneur, I've been rationing my happiness so that I have enough left over for when my real life starts. Mm. So like when I hit 250, when I hit 500 grand, I'm highly money motivated as a person. And I know that's controversial, but I can back that up with arguments for days. Right. But you know, I, I, I realize that I've had it in my head that my real life, my good life starts when I hit these nebulous financial benchmarks, right? Mm. That that's when I can enjoy things. That's when I can spend money. That's when I can do the things that I care about because that's when my real life starts. And just taking a step back, especially within the last few months and really recognizing that, nope, this is it. This is your one shot. This is the only one you get. And so if you're taking your time between now and then and looking at it as the meantime, it's okay if I'm miserable in the meantime, because this isn't my real life, puts you in such a place where guess what? If you don't enjoy the little things along the way, how can you possibly enjoy any of the big things when you start hitting those goals, right? So taking that and applying it to money and to your financial situation means that this is your real life and you need to celebrate everything that's good and exciting for you along the way, because this is, this is for realsies to use the technical term, right? (laughs) This is it. So I think that there's a lot of good financial, um, you know, influencers and a lot of financial content now that kind of preaches this idea that you can find a ton of enjoyment in things without spending a ton of extra money, right? So whether that's right using the perfume that you have because it makes you feel good or doing your hair and makeup because that makes you feel good or going on a walk because that feels good and it's for free or, you know, whatever it is, like making a nice meal for yourself, that doesn't take any extra money, maybe a little bit extra time and energy, taking self-care, right? Napping, like all of these things that don't cost anything, but still add to you without the idea that you're somehow taking away from your productivity or somehow taking away from your future happiness by enjoying what you're doing right now. Like that's what an abundance mindset means to me when it comes to money is that every step you make, any tiny goal you hit, you get a thousand dollars in that emergency fund and we're celebrating, right? Because <laughs> that's for yeah. real. That's so good. I love that. So do you feel like someone can have an abundance mindset even while they're still broke, like barely any money in the bank account right now? Yeah, 100%. It's something that you have to work at because when you're 
or finances aren't measuring up to a place that gives you security and stability and safety, then sometimes it's really hard to think about other things, okay? So just like we talked about, as long as you're celebrating those little goals along the way, right? I put $20 in my savings account this week. Awesome, celebrate. That's an abundance mindset and that I can safely put away this $20 and be excited about it because that's something. That's a step in the right direction. That's progress towards my future. Even if it's not, oh, I put $1,000 into my savings account right? Just because something isn't exactly what we want doesn't mean it's not progress, doesn't mean it's not in the right direction. I will say that there's a huge connection between money and stability, right? No matter how you want to put it, if you can't pay for housing that's safe, if you can't pay for food that's healthy and doesn't make you sick or doesn't make you feel terrible, if you can't on a higher level, right? Not everybody can afford therapy or mental health. All of those things put you in a better place. So I recognize that it's difficult and sometimes you need to have somebody in your corner, whether that's an advisor or a friend or somebody who can give you context and say, hey, exactly how it is right now is not how it's going to be forever. And you're doing a great job in the meantime, you're making progress towards your goals, having somebody who can cheerlead you a little bit, even when you don't necessarily feel that abundance mindset is the best way to start celebrating and get out of a place where now you're not stable anymore. You don't get to a place where you feel good about everything. And sometimes that's a process, but you can, it just takes a little bit more effort and a little bit more cheerleading in my personal opinion. Yeah, hundred percent. So do you know anyone that was broke and they had the right mindset? They had this abundance mindset that we're talking about and then they ended up becoming wealthy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Over and over and over again. I think that especially within this entrepreneur world that we're in, the most frustrating part is I think that whether it's explicitly spoken out loud or whether it's just an implicit idea is that a lot of times when you're an entrepreneur, it feels like that if you're not wildly successful immediately, then you're never going to be successful, right? And it's the same thing with money. If I'm not wildly wealthy right now and great with my finances, that I'm never going to be. And guess what? That's just 100% not the case. Talk to anybody who is really wealthy now and chances are that unless they come from family money or something like that, that they had their own periods of struggle. But I can show you five or six different clients that I've met with within the last few weeks who when we met in the first place, whether it's a year or two years or three years ago, that's the best part of creating long-term relationships with clients is that you're there for their progress along the way. And you know, I had one client who was somewhere around $60,000 in credit card debt because wow. she had just started a business. Yeah, she was in a model where they really just promoted direct mailers and then you just sit by the phone and, and answer it. And that was their whole business model. And so <laughs> she wasn't making anything. She was in all Aww. this debt. Yeah, and that's so hard. And so sitting down and having conversations say, we recognize that you're in a hard place right now. Here are the things that we can do as building blocks in the meantime, right? Let's get you that first emergency fund. Let's start putting away 20 to $100 a month just to build those habits for you along the way. But guess what? A lot of my clients are what I consider pre-wealthy, right? In that they're going to be very well off as long as they stick to the habits and consistency that they put in place right now. So now this woman is making somewhere between 30 and $40,000 a month in mortgages because the market changed. She ended up with a different company in a different position. And now she's in a spot because she built those savings habits when she wasn't doing very well at all. Mm. That now when she's making a ton of money, she's saving so much, she's investing and she's excited about it because here's the thing, if you can't manage a little bit of money, then you don't necessarily have a chance of being able to manage a lot of money either. 
right? You have to build those habits and those building blocks along the way, right? I think a lot of the times that's why it's really easy for people who start making a ton of money immediately without having to go through the character building of learning how to manage it along the way. Come on. Don't hang on to it, right? Think about people who, who win the lottery. How many people who win the lottery go bankrupt? The answer is a lot, right? I don't have the exact statistic, but if you haven't built you know, the character and the habits to maintain that level, you're not going to keep it. So all the time we see people who start off in a place where they're not excited about it, and then they get there because they put in the work and consistency over and over and over and over again, even when it's not exciting or fun. Wow. That's so good. Yeah. It sounds like so similar to health and fitness. It's, you keep putting in the work, you could keep putting it all in, even when you don't feel like it, even when it's not convenient. And I know I've heard like just a fun story is Jim Carrey. Um, he was homeless and living out of his car and he was trying to become an actor and he had the right mindset and was believing in abundance and working his freaking butt off also. And was, you know, trying to get into all the different acting roles that he could. And he wrote himself a check that was for $10 million for acting services rendered. And he, he dated it for five years in the future. And he like held in onto that and looked at it every single day in his wallet. And then five years from that day, he ended up getting signed for Dumb and Dumber for $10 million. So it's pretty cool. It just goes to show that having the mindset matters and putting in that work at the same time, because when it's handed to you on a golden platter, you often squander it. But if you have to actually work for it and put the time and energy and effort in over the series of years and have these baby steps along the way, you actually are able to create more wealth and more abundance. Yeah. Yeah. I don't hundred percent agree with that. Right. Sometimes that's the baby steps here. Yeah, totally. Okay. So we've talked about debt a little bit. Let's keep going into that. I think a lot of women listening are thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. Abundance mindset sounds great, but I have like $30,000 in credit card debt, which on a side note, I totally get because Frankie and I just became debt free like one month ago. And I actually did a whole podcast about Frankie and I and our debt journey. And I'm going to link that in the show notes here for you guys. Um, but Frankie and I had around $33,000 of credit card debt and car debt. And I found out from Dave Ramsey that the average American consumer debt is $34,055. So we're definitely not alone in the fact that Frankie and I aren't alone in how much debt we had. And if you're listening and you have a bunch of debt, you're also not alone. So Danae, how can someone be in debt and have an abundance mindset, which is, I guess, kind of a little bit what we already talked about, but- Mm -hmm. Um, maybe the better question would be, do you think that everyone should want to be debt-free or is being in debt okay? I mean, it really depends on the situation here. I will say that an easy blanket statement is that 98% of people are going to be better off without any debt. Okay. And there are exceptions. I don't think that based on everybody's situation, it's necessarily a priority to have your whole mortgage paid off, for instance. Right. So based on what season you're in and and what kind of goals and dreams you have, maybe that's not the best fit for everybody. But if we're just talking about like credit card debt or student loans or, or consumer debt, right. So if that's the case, I think that there's definitely a couple things that you can do to not only have an abundance mindset, but start attacking it in a way that's helpful instead of shameful right? Mm. So what I mean by that is that for a lot of people, more than just a financial burden, it's an emotional burden, 
right? It makes people feel like a failure, like they're not measuring up, like they did something so horribly wrong and now it's following them around for forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And it seems like this insurmountable pile of, of bullshit, right? That's the, that's the only real swear I'll have on here, okay? Um, <laughs> but that's, that's kind of everybody's starting point. But another one of my favorite quotes, and I use this a lot when we talk about debt, but also about your finances in particular, is that until you make the unconscious conscious, it'll control your life and you'll call it fate, okay? And I love that because a lot of times people take the idea that they have this debt and they'll push it away because they don't want to think about it right? They're not going to look at their bills. They're not going to pull up their statements because they know they have this and it bothers them so, so much that the idea of bringing it out into the open and looking at it is painful, like physically painful. And there's so many big connections between money and mental health, especially if somebody is experiencing anything when it comes to anxiety and depression. If you deal with something like anxiety, guess what? You're probably going to have some avoidance behaviors around your money, right? Especially debt, especially bills. Um, and if you're depressed, right, and I've had my own mental health struggles throughout the years, then sometimes you're like, why does any of this even matter, right? My life is always going to look like this, and it's always going to be really, really hard. So the first part of this is making things conscious. So getting it out in the open for yourself. Know what your numbers actually are, and then look at it without shame. Okay. Understand that most people in America who are dealing with debt, if you know anything about debt in general, do you remember what the, the number one cause of bankruptcy in America is? No. Okay. It's medical, medical debt. Right. Oh. And so way more often than not, it's not a confessions of a shopaholic situation and you're just making frivolous purchases, right? Nothing is wrong with frivolous purchases when you have the money for it. A lot of the time it's because you lost your income for a while in an unexpected way or because you didn't have health insurance or not enough health insurance to cover some sort of big medical medical emergency. More often than not, people are in debt because of unforeseen circumstances. Okay. Doesn't mean that we can't plan and prevent some of, if not all of those things, but it means that you can always remove a lot of the shame surrounding it. So I almost think of it like when it comes to exercise and nutrition, because if you're afraid to hop on the scale, if you're afraid to take measurements, if you're afraid to take inventory of where you're at physically and nutritionally, then the idea that you're going to make progress in the right direction maybe isn't going to happen, right? That doesn't mean you need to be obsessive about it, but you have to make those things conscious. You have to know that they exist. And then if you're also using that same kind of exercise and nutrition analogy to look at the rest of your finances, know that there aren't a lot of quick fixes, okay? And if anything sounds like a quick fix, chances are there's something up there, right? So think about, about exercise, right? How many people post about whatever, 21 day challenges or juice cleanses or lose 60 pounds in five days, or it's always this crazy quick fix and everybody wants to make you think that you're going to have results immediately and it's going to be easy and it's going to be immediate gratification. Well, guess what? The people who are in the best shape when it comes to their fitness and their health are there because usually they put in a lot of consistent efforts over time, even when it wasn't easy and even when it wasn't exciting, their efforts compounded on themselves, right? It definitely can do that when it comes to debt. You can snowball it. If you make a little bit more money, it becomes a lot easier to pay off debt quickly, but don't look for a quick fix. Look for consistent efforts that put you in the right direction. Get your situation out of the open and look at it without shame, knowing that every step you make is progress 
in the right direction, right? So that abundance when it comes to debt, right? Be honest about it, but know that it's not the end of the world. Plenty of people who have, uh, have paid off more debt than you, right? Um, and there are plenty of people who are way better off with their finances because now they certainly don't take that money for granted. So that was a very, again, a very long explanation for what kind of a quick question, but that's, that's where I feel about that. I love it. It's so good. And it's so true about facing the numbers because mm-hmm. like for Frankie and I, it was, it kind of, ours was probably did happen a little more, um, over time where we just weren't paying a whole lot of attention. And then we had our wedding and we had our honeymoon. And like, so there were some big events, but they went yeah. on different credit cards. And so I think what can happen is you put it on like one credit card and then you put everything on a different credit card. So you have like four or five credit cards. And yeah. that's when you're like, I don't really have that much. I don't, it might be like four or 5,000 on that one. And then maybe like four or five, six, seven on that one. Like you're not really yeah. thinking about any of the numbers. And so when we did our Dave Ramsey program, we, mm-hmm. it had you count out all your debt and it was like, okay, let's actually look at this. And we sat down and counted it out and added the numbers together. And it was like, oh, that's a lot more than we actually thought, which sucks. And then we're like, but now we know. And now we can create a game plan to move forward. And so, yeah, we paid it off within six months, which is, was such a big feat. And we were like, I was selling stuff on Craigslist and offer up left and right. I was literally selling everything. I'd be like, Frankie, are you using these headphones? No, great. I'm selling them. (laughs) And I was like, so aggressive with like, I mean, that's just one avenue, but you can get so creative with how you make money. We both were working hard at our jobs and we wanted to pay off our debt as quickly as we could. So we were thinking of every resource we could to pay off that debt. Um, Mm -hmm. and we ended up losing the shame around, around that number. And so, yeah, I'm all about facing the number, facing the number. Okay, cool. So what about people who are listening that have like six figures of debt because of school? How should they be thinking? I mean, honestly, the mindset is the same because when you're thinking about exercise, for instance, whether you want to lose 10 pounds or you want to be a figure competitor at the highest level, it's the same plan. It's just consistent effort, right? You might have to change your strategy a little bit based on your life. So, you know, I, um, I love Dave Ramsey when you're talking about major behavioral change to hit large goals. So for some people, it's not a big enough, um, emotional burden on them that they're going to change their whole lifestyle and, and you know, sell stuff on Craigslist and get a second job and stop going out to eat. You know, some people are not willing to make those behavioral changes. And guess what? That means that it's going to be a longer journey for you, right? If your exercise plan is to walk 20 minutes every other day, right? You might hit some of those weight loss goals or some of those toning up goals, but it's definitely not going to come as fast um, as it would otherwise. So it really depends on, you know, what your situation is. I work with quite a few chiropractors, for instance, on average, $250,000 in student loans. Yeah. That's, wow. that's wild. So they just understand that that's going to be part of their operating expenses as a business for the next whatever foreseeable future. And then as they make more money, they attack it a little bit harder, right? But knowing that their consistent efforts that they've put in are making a difference over time, even if it feels like it's just a drop in the bucket. So the answer is the same, just consistent efforts and, and keep going, right? Get people on your team. If you want to pay things off faster, you know, ask somebody for help, get a second job, right? Make a lifestyle change, but that's really up to you. So for some people, if they don't see it as a huge emotional burden and they know that it's just going to be there for a while, that's okay. But for other people, you know, do something like Dave Ramsey, dive in, 
change your mindset and change your lifestyle to fit that and then just attack it, right? Your efforts compound. Everything gets easier the longer that you do it. So good. Well put. Okay. So what are some of the easiest budgeting tools that you recommend your clients use? Yeah. So I think that for, I don't have a completely unique mindset when it comes to budgeting, but I will say that as opposed to, you know, looking at a budget, I guess I look at a budget kind of like a nutrition plan, right? This is such an easy example to use that I use it all the time. So let's say that you're going to go on some sort of a, a diet, right? I say diet instead of nutrition plan because you know what the difference is when I'm talking about it in this context. So let's say you're going to do some sort of crazy cleanse or, or diet or something. And so you're going to eliminate the fat and the sugar and the carbs and the alcohol and everything that you like to eat. You're going to eliminate all of it, right? You're going to drink water with cayenne pepper and maple syrup in it or whatever it is that people do. <laughs> And so you're going to eliminate everything that you love. And then you're going to go two, three weeks max. You're going to have a really good day or a really bad day. And you're going to be eating Oreos and peanut butter in front of the TV again, right? Because that wasn't something that you could maintain. You need this massive change without anything to back it up. You eliminated everything that you love and now you're miserable. So the second you have a bad day, like you're back on that couch. Okay. So I kind of think of budgeting the same way in that, my idea with budgeting isn't to eliminate everything that you love, right? If you're going to do it for something specific, maybe that makes sense for a short amount of time if you're highly motivated for a specific goal. But in reality, if you love um, buying shoes, if you love dressing well, if you love eating well, if you love going to a gym that serves you and your purposes, then the chances are if you eliminate everything you love out of your budget, then you're going to go two, three weeks. You're going to have a really good day or a really bad day. And you're going to end up at TJ Maxx or Nordstrom's <laughs> or Victoria's Secret or wherever it is you spend your money and you're going to be spending money again, right? Because those are the patterns you have in place. So just like when it comes to a diet or a nutrition plan, we're looking at moderation and lifestyle. So something that you can deal with for a long time and be happy and fulfilled along the way. So some of the budgeting tools that I like for people, I'm an app person myself because I like knowing when things come in and out of my account almost immediately. For somebody who has a pretty stable paycheck every two weeks or every month, um, apps like uh, Truebill or um, Mint, actually Mint and Every Dollar are probably the easiest, right? You can use a spreadsheet too. Those are pretty straightforward if you have the same expenses, you know, and the same paycheck every month, right? But the issue is, what if you're an entrepreneur, right? What if you're, for instance, a real estate agent? So I have a client who. Two years ago, she made $8,000 the entire year. The next year, she made $100,000 just in April. Oh my gosh. So if you're looking at a traditional budget, what? How are you supposed to, to figure out what to do with that? So when we're diving into people's finances, we're looking pretty heavily into cash flow. And one of the, the tools that I like for this, and here's my disclosure, I am in no way selling or representing this product. This is not something that I actually sell to clients. Um, but personally, I use Truebill and that's because you can see all of your transactions in and out. You can classify them for what you want. You can set budgets, but you can also see all of your subscriptions and all of your recurring payments and exactly when they come out of your account. Sometimes you can even use it to cancel subscriptions that you have in place. So you can say cancel prime and they'll just do it for you. Whoa, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Sometimes, cool. yeah. Sometimes they'll negotiate fees. So if you have overdraft fees, sometimes they'll negotiate those off for you. 
Um, but the cool thing is if you're looking at your finances and you're saying, okay, I have this calendar in front of me. I know that within the next week I have $800 worth of bills coming out of my account. Then as an entrepreneur, you know, okay, I better have $800 in this account by the end of the <laughs> yeah. week, right? So having things on auto pay, but having a tool that you can keep up to date and that you can use to track for me, because my income is super variable. It's up, it's down, it's all over the place as it is with most entrepreneurs, right? Um, that's one of the tools that I really like to utilize. But a lot of times um, it's also worth having a conversation about what kind of investments are best for somebody who can't necessarily pay a hundred, 200, 300, 400, $500 investment every single month, right? What does that look like if your income goes way up or way down? Can you change your contributions? How does that flexibility make a difference? Hope that answers your question. Yeah, that's so good. So I'll link all of those that she just listed down below in the show notes so you guys can can figure out which one's best for you, depending on if you have a more stable, um, you know, biweekly pay. What's the word I'm looking for? Paycheck. Bi- paycheck. Thank you. Yeah, words. I got you. <laughs> words. Wow. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, or if you're an entrepreneur and you have totally different not even paychecks, just amounts of money coming in and out of your um, bank account every day. So, okay. We are almost done here, but there's just so many more good questions I have to ask because this is such an important conversation. Okay. So say someone who is listening right now, they don't have any credit card debt. They also don't have a budget, but they're kind of whimsical with their money, meaning they don't really know exactly where their money goes. Um, They have the basics. They have a savings account and they do put money in that 401k each month, what would you say to that person? Honestly, just get some context because depending on the, that person, based on their goals and dreams, that might be enough, but there's a solid chance that it isn't. Okay. So if you're already doing kind of these basic things, you're out of debt, you have a really good baseline of where you're starting off. The next part of the conversation is, okay, am I doing enough to reach my goals? So that's part of what, what it takes when you're sitting down with an advisor. So I know that when I'm sitting down with clients, we're going through really in depth, their goals, their dreams, ballparks about what kind of investments they have, what their contribution and their matches and what they want in retirement, when they want to retire, how much money they want coming in, what kind of a lifestyle they're looking for. Because then I can reverse engineer and say, okay, based on the amount of money you need for retirement, here's exactly how much money you need to be putting away. And here's exactly where to put it. So with their 401k, with other investments, potentially some that are a little bit more tax favored, how it is that you build that plan, right? So then they can have that, that confidence and that feeling that I'm doing everything I'm supposed to, to hit my goals, right? So that I don't have to have anxiety around my money. I have the context, I have the education to know that I'm doing exactly what's next. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Which I think goes hand in hand with the idea that even if you're someone who's listening, who has no debt, you make lots of money. But if you have no budget or no idea where your money's really going, mm-hmm. it would be important for you to sit back and, or not sit back necessarily, but I guess, uh, lean in, lean in and figure out, okay, where else can my money be going? Because I, you could probably have better investments or put your money towards things that matter for the future. Is that what you're saying today? Yeah. Sometimes even it's a little bit of a reallocation or a little bit of a tweak, you know, taking money from one of your pockets and putting it into another pocket that's maybe treated differently as an investment. And obviously like, here's my disclosure. I'm not here to give financial advice over a podcast because everybody's situation is so totally different, but go out and get some education and make sure that everything you're doing is actually leading towards the goals that you want and the retirement that you're looking for. Right. So 
meet with a licensed professional to, to talk about those things for sure. <laughs> yes. And I, and I think what would help with, um, have, if someone were to sit down with a professional would be creating those goals. How much money do you want when you retire? And when do you plan to retire? And what will your lifestyle be like? How long will you be living after you retire? Um, mm -hmm. Once again, it's like facing this stuff instead of just being like, well, I'm in my twenties or I'm in my thirties. I'll face that when I'm like, 40 or 50, like, you know, trying to push it really far to the future. It's thinking about it right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. All of that. All of that is good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So lastly, for those who are debt-free, they have a budget or they're really good with their money and they want to be a millionaire by the time that they retire, what are three easy ways for them to build financial wealth? So, um, again, you know, as a, as a licensed financial advisor, I'm not here to give very specific advice, but I would say that when you're talking to an advisor, when you're doing your research, make sure that you understand the impact of, of three major things, right? So the first is longevity. Okay. So you want to make sure that you're asking questions about how to make sure that you don't make, or you don't run out of money if you live too long, right? A lot of times traditional retirements are planned for people who are retiring at 65 and had a life expectancy of 75. Oh, yikes. That's crazy because most, most or both my great grandmas died when they were past 97. So my life expectancy is long. So the first is longevity. Make sure that the accounts you have in place won't run out of money if you live a long, healthy life, which is what we're looking for is a long, healthy life worth living. The second thing is paying attention to the market, right? So where is my money invested and is that the right place for me? Am I taking on the right amount of risk based on my goals and my tolerance, right? So ask your advisor about where you should be putting your money based on what you want. If you're very uncomfortable with the idea of losing money, then some accounts just aren't going to be right for you. That's just right. If, if you want to make a little bit more though, sometimes you have to be okay with taking on a little bit of risk. So ask about the market, make sure that you're educated about where your money is at and what it's doing and what happens in the case of a potential large market loss. Okay. And then the third thing that I'd recommend you ask about is a tax favored strategy, right? And what that means is that um, if I ask any of my clients about what their largest expenses are going to be over the course of their lifetime, what do you think they would, they would probably say across the board? probably their house and maybe some cars. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. House, cars, education, um, you know, healthcare, things like that. But what people don't always recognize is that taxes is a huge expense over the course of your lifetime, maybe the biggest. So we get taxed on our income. We get taxed on sales. We get taxed on gas. When you register your car, you pay taxes on that. There's a million different things that we pay taxes on and it can be a huge influence when you're deciding how it is that you invest. So make sure that you understand not only where your money is, but where the tax consequences are of where that money is put, because that can make a difference of literally millions of dollars when it comes to investing. So Dang. that's my, my sneak peek, right? Wow. The exciting tax good. conversation. So that's without getting, getting any recommendations, ask about those things. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. Danae, can, can people hire you even if they don't live in Colorado? 100%. Um, the way that my company is set up is that I get paid through the product providers I work with when a client needs some sort of investment or solution. I connect my clients with those providers and they pay me. So there's no sit down fee and I don't have any minimums. You don't have to have a hundred grand in investable assets. So I can really work with anybody no matter where they are in their financial journey. Wow. Okay. So cool. So 
What is your email? Tell everyone right now in case they want to work with you. Yes, danae.osted at tfaconnect.com. So I'm sure it'll be in the show notes, but yep. D-E-N-A-Y-E dot A-U-S-T-A-D at tfaconnect.com. So cool. Okay, so our last question is, if you could have every listener take action on one smart goal from today, what would it be? Make everything conscious, right? Give it, get everything out in the open, exhibit a little bit of vulnerability for yourself, but get those bills out. Make sure you know what your auto payments are. Um, and I, not just car payments, but anything that's on auto pay, right? What's coming in, what's going out, and then find somebody to add to your financial team who can help you look at your long-term goals and reverse engineer a plan for you that gets you there every single step of the way. So that's, that's it. Those are my, my closing thoughts here. <laughs> oh, so good. Danae, thank you so much for being here. You guys shoot Danae an email. If you do not yet have a financial advisor, you need one in my personal opinion, but you know, not forcing you, but you know, just saying you probably should. <laughs> and Danae would be the right woman for you. So Danae, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. We really appreciate you. Have an awesome rest of your day. Thanks, Janelle.